This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. As originally conceived, Johnny Dollar was a smart, tough, wisecracking detective who tossed silver dollar tips to waiters and bellhops. Dick Powell starred in the audition show recorded in 1948, but withdrew from the role in favor of other projects. The role instead went to Charles Russell, whom we'll hear tonight in the episode Little Man Who Wasn't There. If you're looking for murder, I know a guy who can get it for you wholesale. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar. To West Coast Underwriters, San Francisco Branch, Attention Bradford L. Coates, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of uh, the little man who wasn't all there, or in most cases, there at all, or the unpaid premium payoff. Expense account item one. Three cents postage due on your airmail special delivery letter containing said assignment. I can just hear you dictating it. Take a letter. To Johnny Dollar, you'll find his address in the files. Dear sir, better make that dear Dollar. Enclosed find copies of letters received by us from one Mr. James Yarbo, period. This man's wife was insured with our company until recently. One day before her death, her period of grace and an unpaid premium ran out. We canceled her policy in the amount of $20,000. Her husband, Yarbo, first made every effort to collect, then threatened us. Since then, we've received the enclosed series of letters intimating, without confessing, that he's had a hand in the accidental death of at least 12 of our policyholders to date. The police have been working on it, but are getting nowhere. If you are available, please come immediately. Uh, uh, yours very truly, uh, so... Far. Expense account, item two, $176.87. Airfare, Hartford to San Francisco. Item three, 540. Cab fare, airport to your office. Dollar, glad you got him. You've no idea what okay, a mess Okay, okay, Mr. Coates, okay, don't get excited. We'll nail this guy before you run out of policyholders. Well, the dozen he's apparently done away with already have cost this darn near quarter of a million. You've got to move fast, Dollar. The man is a homicidal maniac. Yeah, but a smart one, though. He's put just enough in those letters that he sent you to let you know that he's working on a grand-scale revenge against your company. But 
He leaves out just enough so the law can't lock him up. He's had perfect alibis in every case. Uh, look, uh, Mr. Coates, tell me, have all these deaths been local right around here? No, they've been all over California. Mm-hmm. Well, one other thing, the method. From this list you gave me, Mr. Yarbo seems to have a preference for killing people through the noisy and gory method of fake automobile accidents. Yes, very true. But what about this last one? Airplane crash. That was a $30,000 loss to us. Uh, just think. Our poor innocent policyholder flying around and then his engine quit. Thanks to a man he's never even seen. Tell me, Mr. Coates, <sighs> just how difficult would it be to get a list of your California policyholders? Names and addresses, you know. Why, that would take days. But goodness gracious, man, you can't hope to keep an eye on them all. Besides, the minute you went off the job, he'd strike again. That's a preposterous Whoa, idea. Cut time. Look, I don't want the list. I was just wondering how Yarbo got it. Oh. Now, so far, you've given me nothing to go on. I'd like you to add two things to that. Yarbo's home address and a $50,000 life insurance policy made out to me. What on earth is that for? Well, look, in the first place, if we're going fishing for Mr. Yarbo, I might as well be the worm. In the second place, if I should get gobbled up in the line of duty, that $50,000 life insurance would make several attractive young ladies of my acquaintance very happy. Not, mind you, as happy as I can make them by remaining alive. Expense account, item four, $30. Rental of limousine complete with chauffeur. I figured if I was riding into trouble, I was riding in style. So I started on a house-to-house survey. You might say... Knocking at death's door. Yes. What is it, please? Oh, I'm sorry to bother you, Mrs. Chianelli, but I'm from the insurance company. Oh, yes. It'll only take a moment. One question about your son. Oh, poor Andrew. What do you want to know about my poor son? He drive away in his automobile. That's all. I'll never see him in life again. Yes, I, I know. Uh, tell me, Mrs. Chianelli, did you ever hear your son mention a man named Yarbo? Yarbo? Yeah. Yarbo. I don't know about no such Yarbo. Now, please. Please leave me. There was so much sadness in my house. Uh, Mr. Dykes? Yes. I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm from the insurance company. About your son's plane crash. Oh. Thought all those details had been taken care of. Well, just one thing, Mr. Dykes. Did your son ever mention a man named Yarbo? Yarbo? Yeah. An unusual name. I'm sure if he had, I would have remembered. Okay, sir. I'm sorry to bother you. And thanks. <laughs> Yes, sir. May I help you? Yes, I'd like to have a word with Mrs. Weatherly. I'm from the insurance company. Well, sir, Mrs. Weatherly has been indisposed, not receiving visitors. What is it, Brian? Uh, how do you do, Mrs. Weatherly? My name is Johnny Dollar. Oh, dear, dear. You may go, Brian. Oh, I'm ashamed to let you see me in this condition, Mr. Dollar. 
just a shame. But you understand. I, I do indeed. Oh, it was bad enough. The, the accident, I mean. But the scandal. Oh, oh I'll never be able to hold my head up again. Yes. Uh, no. If Harvey had to get himself in an automobile accident, why, oh, why, I ask you, did he have to have that awful Mrs. Barclay in the car? Hmm? Oh, yes. Yes, it, it was very unthoughtful of him, yes. uh, Mrs. Weatherly. Would you mind answering one question? Well, if I can. Did your husband ever mention a man named Yarbo? Well, no. No, he never mentioned a man named Yarbo. But neither did he ever mention Mrs. Barclay. I tried a half a dozen of the other beneficiaries left behind by Mr. Yarbo's list of victims. All I got out of it was a very watery afternoon. The tears were falling like monsoon time in Burma. But of information, I got none. This brought me right smack up to a point I didn't want to have to reach. The point of contacting Mr. Yarbo in person. At 8.30 that night, I took a plan on Yarbo's house on Lombard Street. At 11.30, I saw the lights go out, as did Yarbo. He was a little guy, stooped over like he was looking for cigarette butts on the sidewalk, needing a haircut, and true to type, wearing a long black overcoat. But worst of all was the little satchel he was carrying. Items like this always set off a chain reaction in my imagination, and I could just see him on his way to atomizing the Oakland Bay Bridge, thus causing the biggest automobile accident in history. I very cleverly forced my way into the house by breaking a first-floor window, reaching in and opening same. The Cyclops' eye of my flashlight started picking up information on the subject of Mr. Yarbo immediately. The room I had entered looked like the Hobby Lobby of an English Bobby, a crime museum if I ever saw one. On one wall, a gun case. On another, a crime library. And scattered around the room, a grisly collection, ranging from blood-stained hatchets to shrunken heads. But the most surprising criminal curio of all stood right behind me. Mr. Yarbo, complete with little black bag. Well, well, I must say, the current second story man dresses well, but I must also say you, my man, must have the old masters of the art turning in their graves. For you, young man, are a heavy-fingered bungler. Sure, let's have a better look at you. Now, that flashlight, I'll feel better after you've dropped it. Hey, what am I doing? You're not even pointing a gun at me. Don't feel too comfortable. You are well covered from many points. A step from you in any direction may detonate any number of explosive devices. Uh, why did I pick this joint to burgle? I feel like a city councilman playing a call in the White House. You seem more the kind of a guy I should be working for instead of on. What's your racket? Racket? Yeah. You were in a racket, my little friend. My pastime is a science. Yes, I, I take it you are impressed with my collection. Uh, uh, who, who wouldn't be? Well, if you're interested, come here. Uh, about those booby traps. <laughs> oh, yes. Note well the design in the rug. The large roses. Avoid stepping on them for the time being. Oh, great. And I was in here stumbling around in the dark. May your good luck continue. But look, look here in this case, the small vial on the right. That is purloined for me to order from the famous Black Museum in Scotland Yard. That little vial once rested in the case of the fabulous murderer, Dr. Crippen. 
And there, beside it, that lock of hair, mm-hmm. that is from the head of the second victim of the noted mass murderer, Neil Cream. And up there, look up there, the hangman's noose over the mantle, from that one swung the body of the notorious western bad woman, Fanny Turner. Oh, uh, how's chances for running this place for Halloween? Uh, yes. Well, all right, then, since you no longer seem interested in playing the part of a bungling burglar, then I assume that I am also free to discontinue my pose as a victim of your disguise, Mr. Johnny Dollar. Oh. Ah, looks like the chips are down and I'm the fish. Yes, and there are a lot of other fish in your sea, Mr. Dollar. Poison, eels, that's what you are, the lot of you. Parasites, gambling on death, and then not paid when you lose. Uh, listen, Mr. Yarbo, you're placing a big hunk of blame where it doesn't belong. You're confused about that. Confused? Yes. When your wife's insurance premium was overdue, you were allowed a 30-day period of grace. And when that went by, the policy was canceled. Now, that's not the insurance company's fault. It was your fault. But it wasn't. I gave her the money. She spent it on herself. I didn't make it up. I told them so after she died. I told them, but they wouldn't listen. I'll show you. I'll show you. Yarbo looked like he was headed to show me the chopping end of an axe laying on top of a small table. I hit him just as he hit the table. As he hit the floor, I noticed what I was standing on. One of those big red roses in the carpet. It hadn't exploded yet, but that was one flower I wasn't standing around waiting to see bloom. It took a lot of nerve picking up a telephone in that room. But I finally got a good hold on my nerves and a fair hold on an imitation of Yarbo's voice. Took one deep breath and picked up the phone. Yes? Hello, James. This is Martha. I'm at the office. I have good news. Two more. Mr. and Mrs. Granville Morse. Killed tonight on the Great Highway, two miles south of Seal Rock. 8.45 tonight. Ran into a post both killed. Insured for a total of 80000 I gotta go now. Goodbye, Jay. Well, congratulations, Brother Yarbo. Two more at 8.45 tonight. And who's your new alibi? Me. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, did you ever think of and as a comedy word? Maybe not. But you'll get a full demonstration on CBS this Wednesday night. There'll be Groucho Marx and his guest on that hilarious quiz, You Bet Your Life. For it's the guests who sometimes floor Groucho with their wisecracks. There'll be Bing Crosby in his regular Wednesday night CBS show and his special guest, Bob Hope. There'll be George Burns and Gracie Allen and Bill Goodwin. And, and becomes more filled with comedy when you tell or learn that Lum and Abner will have their premiere as Wednesday night regulars on most of these same CBS stations. Yes, this fall, you hear them all on C and B and S. Now, with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Yarbo might have been lying unconscious on the floor, but in that setting, I was still afraid of him. 
I'd have looked the place over with a fine tooth comb, only having none, I used my hands. I put the pat test to Yarbo's pockets for a gun. He was unloaded. Then turned my attention to the little black bag he'd been carrying when I saw him leave the house, and which he still had with him when he returned. I hoped it wasn't booby-trapped. Opened it and discovered that it was a trap, the type my kind of booby stepped into. Inside the bag was a small radio receiver tuned to something I looked for and found in the room. A small radio transmitter of the type formerly used in army tanks. Through this, Yarbo had heard me enter his little museum of murder and had returned to catch me in the act of prowling the premises. About then, I caught him in the act of coming through. Well, welcome home, Yarbo. Time to get up. I just had a long chat on the phone with Martha. She thought I was you. You think you're very clever, don't you? Martha knows my voice. If she talked to you at all, she didn't tell you anything. Of that I am sure, so save your breath. There is no use your telling me she gave you any information. Oh, no, you've got me wrong, pal. I only told you Martha called to let you know I know there is a Martha. I figured it might make you nervous. And nervous men are easy to beat. Other nervous men may be easy to beat, Dollar, but not James Yarbo. The police have tried and they couldn't prove a thing against me. Now, may I have your permission to get up? Yeah. Maybe the police haven't been able to get anything on you, but I have something. Attempted murder. The hatchet you went for. <laughs> the pitiful mistake of a pitifully suspicious mind, Dollar. I wasn't reaching for that hatchet on the table. I was trying to show you something in the table drawer. There it is, spilled out on the floor. My wife's insurance policy. The one your unscrupulous thieving superiors refused to pay. The vampire. Here, look at it. All in order. Much of it in fine print. Fine, just fine. <laughs> okay, Yarbo, that did it. Come on, ahead of me. Uh, where are we going? To find some place to lock you up. I was hired to stop you, and until I do, I'm at least going to try and slow you down. Now move. Uh, Linen closet. No room here. Come on. In our bathroom. No window. Yeah, this will do. Go on, get in there. No, 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 not in here. Anywhere but in here. It's a good place. You may get thirsty. No, no, no. This is where my wife died. Not in here. No. Which, on the surface, may seem to have been a move on the cruel side. But Yarbo was a man obviously off his rocker, and I needed him more nervous than I already had him. Too nervous to attempt killing any more people. Expense account item five, a nickel. Phone call, downtown office, state police. A Mr. and Mrs. Granville Morse had indeed crashed to their death on the great highway south of Seal Rock at 845, which made the lady with the early telephone news flash, Martha, a gal with whom I wanted an early date. Come on, come on, answer the phone. Hello, hello? Hello. Uh, what is this? Hello, Mr. Coates, this is Dollar. Uh, oh, yes, Dollar. What do you want? Well, first I want to tell you that you just lost two more policyholders. List price, 80000 
Oh, what... Never mind that. I've also got something else. On the good side. I need your help tonight. Uh, of course. Anything. What can I do? Meet me at your office. You and I are going to go looking for a dame named Martha. Martha? Martha who? I don't know. But I hope she works for you. I'll be there in a half hour. Make that 20 minutes and you'll be 10 minutes closer to happy days. The office personnel records of the West Coast underwriters turned up not one, but three employees named Martha, which gave me three choices as to who had been supplying Yarbo with a list of West Coast policy, insurance, policy holders. Finding the exact Martha was even easier. On the phone, she had told me that she was calling from the office, and the night elevator operator's in-and-out book showed the signature of one Martha Kinsey, and I just couldn't wait to hear her report. I've got a message from Mr. Yarbo. Oh, just a minute. Message from James? Oh, what does he want? Well, what he really wants is to get out of the bathroom. That's why I've got him locked up. Who are you? You ought to know who I am. I assume you're the one that told Yarbo he could be expecting a call from an insurance investigator named Dollar. Well, that's me. Well, I don't care. James told me girls give out lists of names all the time. Sell them for mailing lists. Ten cents apiece. May not be ethical, but it's not against the law. James told me, and I believe James. Oh, he's the smartest man I ever knew. He may be the smartest, but he's right in line to be numbered among the deadest. One of these fine mornings, the state is going to give him a cyanide egg for breakfast. What do you mean? You should know. Murder. Execution. Gas chamber. Well, you can't prove a thing. James told me so, and he knows. But he's smart. I hope he's not smart enough to pick a lock with a bath mat. Now, come on, sit down. You and I are going to have a nice, long talk. We are not. I won't say a thing. I don't have to, unless you have a warrant, an indictment, and a court reporter. James told me so. Yeah, I know. He's smart. But no matter what he told you, you're going to tell me a few things. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. So, I was wrong. Martha didn't tell me anything. But her stubborn attitude did. She was in love with Mr. Yarbo, a stupid middle-aged woman having her last fling at romance doing her best to keep her last chance alive in the person of the man who had made her his partner in crime. As crazy as it was, this grotesque pair of lovebirds created the only real emotion in the case to date and switched my thoughts from the widely scattered deaths which had brought me into the case and over to the single death of Yarbo's wife. Enclosed find a transcript of statement made to me at 2 o'clock in the morning by the doctor who signed Mrs. Yarbo's death certificate. Cause of death, cerebral hemorrhage, result of severe fracture of skull, region medulla oblongata, contributing factors, woman bathing in bathtub at home, slipped and fell, striking head on shower spigot. Coroner's finding death due to misadventure, accidental. It took the doctor two minutes to get around to making that statement. I figured it would take Martha at least 30 minutes to get her hair out of her curlers and make herself presentable enough to risk being seen on the street. That left me 28 minutes to get back to Yarbo's house before she did. And I didn't need half that long. In a cab on my way over, I took inventory. One, to date, Yarbo's alibis covering him on all the so-called revenge murders had been perfect. Too perfect. Second, 
When I first faced Yarbo, he screamed about his wife's death, not in the light of having lost his lady love, but in the light of having lost her insurance money. Just as my third and most important conclusion came upon me, the taxi came upon our destination, and I had to go to work. Once inside the little horror house on Lombard Street, I got set for a long search. But it turned out to be a short one, and it proved two things. Yarbo was not only a murderer, he was as crazy as he'd acted in having kept the evidence around. Okay, Yarbo, come on out. Well, I hope you have enjoyed your waste of time, Mr. Dollar, as I've enjoyed my chance for meditation. You saw Martha, I suppose? Yes, I saw Martha. Bless her silent little soul. Yes, I was sure of Martha. She believes in me. You can say that again. Come on out here. Mr. Dollar, I suppose you are aware that this is the second time tonight you've been guilty of breaking and entering. I am, however, willing to forgive that should you come to your senses and decide to go back to Hartford and leave me alone. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Mind treading on the roses in the rug, Mr. Dollar? Sorry, Yarbo. I fell for that gag earlier tonight. People who smile at that joke give me the last laugh. Now, look, Yarbo. I know exactly what you've been up to, and I know why you've done it. But your little war of nerves has got to stop. It will never stop. No one can prove anything against me. I can. I can prove that you haven't done a thing to bring about those accidental deaths you've been taking credit for. Martha has sat down that insurance office, office and notified you every time there's been an accidental death of a policyholder in this part of the country. And you've written the company your little letters and gotten your little kicks out of it, right? That's a lie, lie, lie. That's a switch, a guy yelling that loud that he's guilty. You'll have to prove it. You will have to prove it. Don't worry, chum. I'm not going to waste a breath proving murders that you didn't commit. But, brother, I'm really going to go to town on the one that you did. Your wife, Mr. Yarbo. Oh, that is the most ridiculous statement you have yet made, young man. Look around you. Take note. I have profited by all the mistakes made by the original owners of these bloody souvenirs from Dr. Crippen on down. You see in me the living composite of them all. And I intend to stay that way. Alive. I'm afraid you will, but it's going to be inside an upholstered room. And this is what will put you there. Oh, God. Yeah, Mr. Yarbo, you carried your little hobby of crime souvenirs too far when you saved this hunk of pipe and the faucet with which you clubbed your wife to death. She slipped and fell. She was in the tub. I'm sure the police microscopes can give you a strong argument on that one. Now, come on. And let's make it easy on each other, shall we? No, no, I didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. Let go. Whoa. Let go of me. You, you have to prove it. Help me, Martha. Help me. Hit him with something. <laughs> I'd have bet on myself against the two of them if I didn't have to fight while playing hopscotch over those roses in the carpet about which I still wasn't quite sure. It was touch and go. Martha would try to touch the back of my head with something, and I'd go. Do something, Martha! Do something! I'll fix him, I'll fix him. But something Martha tried to do was pick up a heavy-based urn and aim it at me. <laughs> she missed it. Started to roll across the rosy carpet. When Yarbo saw where it was headed, he wrenched himself loose and dove. I dove the other way. He got there just too late. (laughs) 
I didn't have to look twice to know he was dead. Fate had called James Yarbo up on his own carpet. When Martha threw that urn at me, it had rolled straight for the only rose in the rug that had been booby traps. Which only goes to prove that sometimes a rose by any other name can be anything but sweet. Expense accounts, item six. A dollar and forty cents. Three month subscription, Love Life magazine. Sent to accessory to murder, Martha Kinsey, to Hatchaby State Prison. I figured three months was about all she had, the judges and juries in California being rather efficient that way. Expense account, uh, item seven. Six bucks. Dinner and diving for pearls in a barrel of blue points at Fisherman's Wharf. Diving for Pearl's earring, which she lost while bending over the barrel trying to see what oysters looked like. Uh, item eight, $176.87. Airfare, San Francisco to Hartford. Uh, expense account total, $942.08. Not including defense lawyer fees if you decide to sue me for not being able to add correctly. Signed, yours... Uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Jay Novello, Martha Wentworth, Paul Dubois, C.G. Pearson, and Larry Dobkin. The special music is written and conducted by Wilbur Hatt. Be sure to be with us at this same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. (laughs) Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you The Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore, music by Claude Sweet. Join our friend, the great Gildersleeve. It's a bright, snappy Saturday morning in October, the kind of a day that's supposed to make a man feel like working. 
And as Gildersleeve stands in his front parlor smoking his after-breakfast cigar, he glances out of the window, and sure enough, he sees a task. Leroy, I thought I told you to rake up those leaves. Didn't I? You didn't say when to rake them. I suppose you want to wait till they're covered with snow. The leaves must be raked now, Leroy, today. Today? Today is Saturday. Why can't I do them Monday afternoon, huh? First thing Monday afternoon. Because I want them done today. I don't see why they couldn't wait till Monday. Don't argue, my boy. You haven't a single thing to do all day today. It's my day off. Can't I wait till Monday? No. You started them Wednesday, but you didn't finish. You must learn to concentrate, my boy. Buckle down. Do a job right. Finish it up. Could you help me, Unc? Between us, we could finish it up in a hurry. Uh, I'm busy, Leroy. Oh, you're just sitting around. I am not sitting around. I'm worrying about finding some kind of work so I can support you and Marjorie. I wish all I had to do was worry. What did you say, Leroy? <laughs> Nothing. Well, get at those leaves and right now. Oh, before you start, did you clean up your room this morning? Oh, sure, I, I cleaned it. Will it bear inspection, Leroy? Well, gosh, if you're going to go over it with a magnifying glass... Never mind that. Did you make your bed? Now, how do you suppose I could have forgotten that? <laughs> Confounded, Leroy. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I looked at your room yesterday, and it was a regular pigsty. How can you stand to live in it? I don't know. I'm just naturally sloppy, I guess. <laughs> oink, oink. And don't be so smart, young man, or I'll make you smart. In a certain place. Understand? Oh, oh, sure. Now go upstairs and do your room at once. So it can stand inspection. Okay. Fine way to spend Saturday. Leroy, have you done your practicing? Leroy. What did you say, young? Have you practiced your piano? Mm, some. Some? I pay good money for those lessons, young man. You get over to that piano and start practicing right now. What about my room? Practice the piano. What about the leaves? Practice the piano. Sit down on that bench and don't get off of it for two hours. Gosh, I'll be working all day Sunday, too. I won't have any fun at all. Leroy, be thinking about now. Marjorie, have you done your room this morning? Oh, yes, Uncle Moore. Oh, uh, good girl. Make your bed? Of course, I always do. Leroy, why can't you be more like your sister? Ah, she makes me sick. Now, well, young man, we're all supposed to do our part around here. Excuse me, Mr. Gill, please. Have you made your bed, Bertie? Uh... <laughs> I mean, uh, what is it? Miss Marjorie, those curtains from your room have been sitting in my laundry tub for three days. I can't do my laundry till you get them out of there. Marjorie. <laughs> Miss Perfect. Leroy, practice the piano. Ha, 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 Mr. Smarty Pants. And you go wash those curtains, young lady. By George, we're going to have some new work habits around here. When we start something, we're going to finish it. We've got to learn to concentrate. I don't hear you counting, Leroy. I can't count and play at the same time, Unc. Well, try. Four and one and two and three and... That's wrong, Leroy. I told you I can't count and play at the same time. I bet nobody can. All the great pianists know how to count, Leroy. Well, they don't count so you can hear them. <laughs> you remember when you took me to hear that guy and we sat in the front row? He never counted once. I was watching him. He doesn't have to count anymore, but he knows how. Now, stop arguing. Count for yourself if you want to. Okay. Play it right, my boy. I'm 
trying to. That's the spirit. You're not trying, Leroy. I am, Mom. Well, don't make the very same mistake every time. <laughs> well, this is a tough piece, and I'm just starting it besides. Oh, well, it's going to sound very nice when you've learned it. I wonder when that will be. <laughs> That's the boy. Oh! For goodness sake, Leroy, go back and play it right. Do I have to start at the beginning? No, 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 just go back a little way. Okay. Leroy, you're not concentrating. Maybe I haven't got any talent, huh? You learn to play whether you got talent or not. <laughs> the trouble is, you don't practice enough. Now, when I... Was... I'll see who it is. No, you won't. You'll sit right where you are and keep practicing. Well, good morning, Gilly. Oh, for a good morning, Judge. Come on in. Well, Leroy practicing. Very pretty. Boy plays nicely. Yeah. <laughs> that shows how much you know, Judge. What's on your alleged mind? Not a thing, Gilly. Not a thing. Can't an old friend just drop in without having something on his mind? He can, but he doesn't. <laughs> If you come over here again to pry into matters of my employment, Judge... Well, I haven't, but now that you bring it up... It why... may interest you to know that I'm considering a number of possibilities. Oh, you've been saying that for weeks. What about uh, Nelson Humpstone? Did you get anywhere with him? Humpstone? He's nothing but a four-flusher. They're closing down the factory, Judge. I wasn't interested in that job anyway. I have another idea now. That's the trouble with you, Throckmorton. You never stick to anything. Dag nabbit, I don't believe you know how to concentrate. <laughs> Leroy! <laughs> Concentrate. I mean, keep your mind on your work. I could go out now if you and the judge want to talk. You get right back to that piano. We'll go into my study. Come on, Horace. You're always opening your big mouth. Sit down, Judge. Have a cigar? Not so soon after breakfast, thank you. Good. <laughs> you know, Horace, the more I think of it, the more I miss my old job at the waterworks. That wasn't a bad job. It's gone now. Water over the dam. Mayor Terwilliger should be indicted, appointing his own cousin as water commissioner. Let's not judge him hastily, Gildy. McCarthy may be a very good man. Not if he's a relative of the mayor. Any relation of Terwilliger's would be an incompetent in public office. Point is, Gildy, that he's in public office and you're not. Yeah. Oh, come in. Yes, the mail just came, Mr. Gildy. Quite a lot of it, but nothing very good. Oh, the mail. Thank you, Bertie. You're welcome. <laughs> Now, Gildy, we've got to look this job situation in the face. Uh, pardon me, Horace, while I look this mail in the face. Doggone it, Gildy, there you go again. Can't you keep your mind on anything? Uh-oh. Here's a note from Nelson Humpstone, Judge. Huh? Uh, <laughs> well, listen to this. Dear Gildersleeve, I'm flying back to the home office of International Bolt and Screw for a couple of days on very short notice, and it looks like they're planning to convert to civilian production instead of closing down here. So don't make any commitments till you hear from me. I'll call you from Detroit as soon as I can. Nuff said. Nelson Humpstone. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. Fine fellow, that Humpstone. Nuff said. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> well, Gildy, I must say that sounds very promising, very hopeful. Oh, Humpstone's a big man, Judge. What did I tell you? He isn't talking about any two-for-nickel proposition. He might want an assistant manager or a sort of an associate manager. Maybe you'll want me to come in there to the home office, talk things over with the big shots. I don't know about that. What else would he be phoning me from Detroit? I ought to be ready to leave in a minute's notice. I wonder if I could get a plane priority. I think you're working a little fast, Gildy. That's the way to get things done, Judge. 
I suppose Humpy could take care of my hotel reservation. Oh, for goodness sake, you're talking just like uh, a... Come in. Uh, what is it, Bertie? Mr. Gillespie, the water stopped running and all the faucets in the house, nothing comes out. What? The water's off? <laughs> I'll bet the pump's busted, yeah, and the snifter valve. Must be off all over town. By George, I've been waiting for this moment. Let's call up the mayor's cousin and complain, Judge. What's his name now? Oh, now, Gildy, have a heart. His name's McCarthy. <laughs> Let me look at that telephone. I'll pin his ears back. I'll blast him. No. No, I know something better, Judge. I'll call him up at his house at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> get back to our story. Only a few minutes have passed, but Gildersleeve's household is as busy as a beehive. Anticipating an urgent call from Detroit, he's stationed Bertie near the phone to grab it, and he's assigned Marjorie to run upstairs and pack an overnight bag for him in case he has to leave town on short notice. The great man himself is in the living room, pacing up and down the rug, and turning over in his mind such important matters as plane priorities and what salary he should demand. And through it all, Little Leroy, like the young Mozart, plugs doggedly away at his music. Leroy, read the notes. Read the notes. I am. You are not. Well, you can see for yourself what it says here. Don't tell me what it says. Play it. He got Uncle Mars. Yes, Marjorie. How long will you be gone? How do I know? I haven't heard from Humpstone yet. I'm still waiting for the call. Well, how many shirts do you want me to pack? And how many what? How many shirts will you need? Well, that depends on how long I'll be gone. I told you, I don't know. Well, how don't ask foolish questions. Just pack some shirts, that's all. Ye gods, let's keep our heads around here. <laughs> oh, there's the phone, Bertie. Grab it. I got it. You'll please, President. Uh, let me have it, Bertie. Yes, ma'am, he is. Just a second. Leroy, stop pounding that piano. How can I hear? Hello, Throckmorton P. Gillisleeve speaking. Eh? Uh, it was what? Water. I'm not the water commissioner, lady. Don't bother me with it. The idea of calling me about it. Doesn't she read the newspapers? Hey, Aunt, can I stop now? I told you, Leroy. I want you to stick at that piece till you master it. I have. I said master, not massacre. <laughs> oh, for corn's sake. Yes, yes. Uncle Mort, do you want me to pack your razor? What's that? Razor? Oh, yes. Uh, Bertie, remind me to get some razor blades before I leave, will you? I'm all out. I will if I can remember. Leroy, maybe you better remind me. What's that? Remind Bertie, Leroy, to remind me to get some razor blades before I go. Ye gods, how can a man practice his music with people interrupting him all the time? I give up. I'm going out. Come back here, young man. Okay. Oh, Mr. Gilsey. Yes, I've got it, Bertie. Yeah, hold it, Leroy. Hello, Throckmorton P. Yes, I'm the water commissioner. I mean, no, I'm not. What is this? Why are people calling me? I don't care if their line is busy. Don't call me about it. It's no business of mine. This is getting to be a darn nuisance. Here, I'm waiting for an important call. Honk! Yes? Make up your mind, will you? Do you want me to practice or don't you? Uh, just study the notes for a little while, Leroy. Yeah, study him quietly and don't make any noise. Hello? Yes, this is Commissioner Gilsey's residence. If it's about the water, Bertie, tell him I'm not at home and I'm not the commissioner. Mr. Gilsey says if it's about the water, he ain't commissioner and he ain't at home. 
Wait a minute, Bertie. That wasn't long distance, was it? No, so that was Miss Pettibone. Well, what do I care? Any more of these calls come, Bertie. Tell them I'm not at home. You understand? Yes, sir. Tell them I left home two weeks ago and I haven't been seen since. Yes, sir. Tell them for all you know, Bertie, I'm Dade. I'll do that. (laughs) Boy, George, this is too much. Let me handle it, Bertie. Hello. Now listen, bud. I've got nothing to do with the water department. I don't care. If you don't like the way things are being run, call up the commissioner. Call up the mayor. Call up Eisenhower, but don't bother me. Hello. No. Get off the line, will you, brother? I want to speak to the operator. Operator. This is Rockmorton P. Gillersleeve speaking. Never mind my number. I want to make a complaint. I'm expecting a very important call. I'm being flooded here with calls for the water department, with which I no longer have any connection. I want you to... Listen, sister, you don't have to tell me there's a war on. I want something done about it, and right away. Do you understand? Oh, you can't, eh? Oh, you can't. Well, I'll do something about it, and right now. Confound him. Mr. Gilsey, you busted. You darn right, I'll bust it. Oh, oh my goodness. How'd you get arrested? Let him come. I'm ready for him. Mr. Hammond, what's going on here? I'll just pull the phone out by the roots. <laughs> yes, and I'll do it again. They can fire me out of the water department. They can put an incompetent in my place. But I'll be go to Blazers if I'll take his phone calls. Let him ring me now. <laughs> go ahead and ring. But, Uncle Mort, what about Mr. Humpstone? If he tries to call you now... Humpstone? <laughs> oh, why didn't somebody stop me? Why did you deliberately stand there, Marjorie, and let... Oh, my goodness, I've got to do something. Humpstone might be trying to call me right now, all the way from Detroit. I'll run over to Mrs. Ransom's and phone the call company. I mean, call the company. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Leela. Mommy. Yeah, and so is Christmas. Leela. Oh, it's you, Strathmore. No gracious. Everything's happening at once here. The phone's ringing. Now sit down and make yourself at home. Won't you, all right? I was just going to ask you if I could use it. Oh, me. It's just as soon as I answer this. Oh. Hello? Yes, who's there? Oh, I couldn't guess. Oh, guess. I couldn't. Where? Is it Walter? Who's Walter? Is it, uh, Kent? Not Kent. Well, let me see now. Leela, I'm expecting a telephone call. It's very important if you could hurry it up. I know. Poochie. Poochie. (laughs) No? Well, I just simply give up then. Who is he? Oh, you. I might have known. Come on, come on, Leela. Nothing, just sitting here. Leela, my phone call. It's urgent. Oh, for goodness sake. No, tell me. This could go on for years, Leela. Excuse me, Throckmorton, please. Yeah, who is it? Wouldn't you like to know? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just getting comfortable. Go ahead. Oh, for the love of Mike. Silly, of course I'm alone. Look, no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, I declare anyone would think you were jealous. Leela, excuse me, but I got to interrupt for a minute. Uh, excuse me again, just a second. 
Couldn't you ask him to call back later or something? But I've only just met him, Throckmorton. I don't know him well enough to be rude to him. Oh. <laughs> but my call is important. Well, I suppose you think this isn't important. All right, wait a minute. Do me a favor, then. When you get through, if you ever do, Leela, call the phone company and tell them my phone is out of order. Very well. Wait. When you've done that, call the long-distance operator and tell her I'm expecting a very important call from out of town. Yes. Tell her I'll be at PV's drugstore, Leela. Mm. Tell her to switch the call to me there. That's a good girl. Oh, it's Rockmorton, wait. Yeah? Who are you expecting a call from? Wouldn't you like to know? Yeah. Hello? Sorry about the interruption. The plumber just arrived. <laughs> Hello, Peavy. You mind if I use your telephone? Not at all. That's what we're in business for. <laughs> Thank you. You'll find the phone right in the phone booth there. I don't need to use it this very minute. As a matter of fact, I'm waiting for a long-distance call from Detroit. Detroit? Yeah, I had them transferred here. Marvelous invention, the telephone. Marvelous. Yes, it is. Just to think, you can step into that little booth there and people hundreds of miles away can hear what you say. Marvelous. Yes, it is. There's just one thing wrong with it, though, I've noticed. Oh, what's that? Well, most people have nothing to say. Now, you take Mrs. Peavy. Yeah? Mrs. Peavy's a fine woman. I admire her and I respect her. But when she gets on the phone there with some of her friends, I tell you, I have to go out and walk around the block. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, Peavy. I get the same thing at home. Marjorie now. She's a pretty sensible girl, as girls go. Yeah, she is. But every afternoon, she's on the phone for hours with Francie. And there's more slush, more silly guff. All about some kid around town named Van Johnson. You ever see him around? No, I don't think I have. Neither have I. But to hear them talk, he must be some punkins. I overheard my own niece offering to die for him yesterday. <laughs> oh, telephone. That might be for me. Uh, do you want to take it, Mr. Gildersleeve, or shall I? Uh, you take it, Peavy. See who it's for. I don't trust that phone booth. It's too narrow. Standard phone booth. It, I know, but I got stuck in there once. I'm not taking any unnecessary chances. All right, I hear you. Can't you see I'm coming? Peavy's pharmacy. Why, yes, Leroy, he is. Yeah, just hold a wire. Leroy? Where's he phoning from? Didn't say. Here you are, Mr. Gildersleeve. Can you make it? You get out of my way, I might. Oh, sorry. Uh, darn little coop. Uh, couldn't you sort of lean into it, Mr. Gildersleeve? <laughs> Wouldn't they have made it big enough in the first place? Standard phone goes. Standard. Hold on, Leroy. I'm coming. Hey, give me a shove, Peavy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Leroy. Where are you? Well, who's fixed the telephone? You did. Great. I mean, don't ever do that again, Leroy. You might get a shock. Bye, George. How'd you do it? Don't tell me now. I'll be right home, Leroy. I'll be right home. What do you know, PV? Leroy fixed the telephone. Was there something wrong with it? Was there something wrong with it? <laughs> but he just hitched a couple of wires together or something I don't know By George, modern kids are wonderful <laughs> Maybe I'd better call the phone company And tell them to switch the call back there you Got a nickel, Mr. Gilderson? I don't know, I'm wedged in so tight here I can't get my hand on my pocket, PB. Yeah, let me put a nickel in for you Yes, thanks, PB. Mm. Dial the operator for me, will you? I can't reach that either <laughs> 
Uh, thanks. Hello, operator. I want to report a telephone out of order. Uh, well, I don't know what caused it. It just went dead. <laughs> I mean, it went dead, but now it's all right again. So if you've sent anybody to fix it, don't bother. Marvelous invention, telephone. <laughs> operator, operator, wait a minute. I'm expecting a call here, long distance. I'd like to have it transferred. Gildersleeve. Rockmorton P. Gildersleeve. The number here? Uh, what's the number here, PB? It's right on your dial there. I know, but I can't get far enough away to see it. <laughs> Summerfield 34260. Oh, yeah, Summerfield 34260. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's where I am now, operator. But my home phone number is Summerfield 32371. Yeah, that's the one that was out of order, so I called you from another number. I mean, a friend did, to ask you to switch the call when it comes. Uh, here. Do you understand? Huh? I don't either, but... <laughs> I want it here now, and I, I want it at home. Yeah. I just told you, Summerfield 32371. Marvelous invention. <laughs> no, 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 operator. It's not out of order. Listen, operator, it's perfectly clear if you just listen. My phone was out of order, so I went... To... Oh, let it go. I'll be home before you get it straightened out. Just put the call through when it comes. Yes. I better be going. <clears throat> I'm following Peavy. I'm stuck. No, no. Get me out of here, Peavy. Get me out. No, easy, guys. I've got to get home, Peavy. That call, I may be missing it. Get me out of yeah, here. No need to get panicky, Mr. Gildersleeve. We've been through all this before. <laughs> Just deflate. Huh? Let your breath out. Let it out. I haven't taken a breath since I got in here. <laughs> hey, evidently, you've put on a little weight. No, I haven't put on any weight. Well, then it's been redistributed. You... <laughs> Stop talking, will you, Peavy? And do something. You got me in here. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, it's your fault anyway for having this thing around. Standard phone booth, Mr. Gildersleeve. Stop saying that. It's a booby trap. <laughs> well, <laughs> looks as if we caught one. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm out, Phoebe. I'm out and I'm off. If you ask me, you've been off for some time. Goodness, it's long distance for Uncle Mort. Uh, just a minute, please. That's the call he's expecting. Well, where is he? Well, he said he was coming right home. Uh, hold the wire, please. What is it, Miss Marjorie? Bertie, it's a call for Uncle Mort, and I don't know what to tell them. Uh, run to the window, Leroy, and see if he's coming. Here, give me that, Miss Marjorie. I know what to tell him. But Bertie, I... Your uncle told me what to tell him. Hello? Here he is. Long distance, huh? I'm sorry. Mr. Gillsleeve ain't here. He ain't been around for two weeks. I expect he's probably dead. <laughs> Bertie! How's that for telling Mr. Gillsleeve? Bertie, that's a call I've been waiting all day for. Well, over the brakes, kid. <laughs> Leroy, give me that telephone. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gillsleeve. Never mind. Operator? Operator? Operator! That's the kind of service you get. Operator! When you want them, you can't get them. When you don't want them, they call you up. Operator, I pay good money every month for this. The darn thing. Uncle Mort. I won't have it in the house. Not again. This time I mean it, confound it. Oh. <laughs> there. Let me see you fix that, Leroy. What a character. <laughs> 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say just a few words on behalf of an organization to which all of us owe our lives, our freedom, and our hope, hope of security, the United States Navy. On October 27th, each year, we celebrate Navy Day. This year, Navy Day will mean almost more than it ever has before, because our Navy is now the strongest naval power on this earth. The number of warships in the fleet has been almost tripled since 1939, and 30,000 naval planes are scheduled for delivery this year. 30,000 planes. I hope the Japs are listening. But though the Navy has done a tremendous job in this war and has the men and materiel to finish it, we mustn't think it's going to be easy. Navy officials estimate it will take at least a year and a half or two years to knock out the Japanese after the war in Europe is over. The Japanese are tough, ladies and gentlemen. They can still increase their production, and their army is not yet up to full strength. So it's up to us here on the home front to stand behind the Navy in the big job that's still ahead. And these are the ways we can help. First, stay on the job in Navy yards and factories. Second, we can maintain our Navy's high morale by writing to the men. Let them know we appreciate what they've done and are doing. But let's not write as if we expected the war to be over in a few months. Third, the Navy needs waves and nurses. Women between the ages of 20 and 36 can release Naval men for active duty. Just go to the nearest Navy recruiting office. Or if you're a registered nurse between 21 and 40... You can be commissioned as an ensign. For information on this, write to the Surgeon General at the Navy Department in Washington. The Navy needs our help, ladies and gentlemen. Navy Day is next October, next Friday, October the 27th. But we ought to make every day Navy Day till the war is won. If we stop and think how much we owe the Navy, I know we'll all be glad to do whatever we can. Good night. on this program was directed by Claude Sweet. And this is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of Parquet Margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products. Kraft invites you to listen again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.